Welcome to Blooming Out on Community Radio, WFHB. Blooming Out is a forum by and for the LGBTQ plus community. Each week we explore the issues, events pertaining to the LGBT community in Indiana, the U.S., and internationally. We speak with guests about human rights, coming out, the legality of being gay, and much more. Blooming Out is a multiple award-winning program here on Community Radio, WFHB. Thanks for listening to Blooming Out. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Blooming Out. I'm Frankie Preslav. I'm Kevin Mosenzade. I'm Grant Rollins. And I'm Justin Robertson. Welcome back, Grant. It's been a while since we've seen you. Yeah, there's just <laughs> been like a sty between the times. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so you couldn't come on the radio because you had a sty? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, All right. Okay, we'll, we'll accept that excuse because it's a good one. I enjoy. <laughs> no, um, it's not. <laughs> Absolutely not. (laughs) That and lake parties. Oh, and parties. Okay. Well, you know, we can party on the radio, too. That's Mm. true. (laughs) We always do. We always do. So what do you guys think about the stuff about Trump's love fest with Russia? I'm sure you caught that this week. It's a bromance. It is a bromance. It is a bromance. (laughs) It is a bromance. So I was reading CNN's uh, stats that came out and said, I think it was a crazy number, like 68% of Republicans support Trump and Russia, what he did over there. I don't know. I'm hoping that's what? way wrong. wrong, and I read that wrong. I mean, it's better than 70%. <laughs> <laughs> the numbers are going down, I guess. There we go. So I don't know. That was scary times. Um, now we are in scary times. So fingers crossed something will happen. <laughs> I do have to say his walk back was so bizarre, though. Didn't you think so? Where he said, you know, <clears throat> I... Uh, what was he, he said that he had he didn't see any re- reason why Russia would be involved, but then his walk back was that he meant to say wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean that was, was so lame. He goes kind of a double negative. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and then you have people that totally accept that as truth. Mm-hmm. Well, but he's always well. like his apologies. It seems like he's always or his mistakes. He's like reading off a script, and then he comes That's up right. in the script. He's like, but also there's lots of other people that could have <laughs> been know, like. <laughs> It's like people in the back are like, stop, stop. That's like. exactly what's happened. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, Frankie, can you introduce our uh, fascinating featured guest for this week? Yeah, let us know who we have today. <laughs> it's <laughs> Evan Lee, um, I'm sorry, Evan Smith is a transgender lesbian and a survivor of sexual violence. We will be speaking with her tonight about Queer Talk and a combination support group that meets once a month exploring issues related to LGBTQ identity and history as well. But first, let's head over to Justin again for this week's LGBTQ news. Thank you, Frankie. (laughs) The House Appropriations Committee on July 11th passed an amendment allowing taxpayer-funded adoption agencies to deny LGBTQ families the ability to adopt a child based on religious objection. The amendment appears on a funding bill for the Departments of Labor, Health, and Human Services, and Education. If it remains in the final bill, the amendment would cut 15% of federal adoption funding to states and localities that penalize adoption agencies that refuse to place children and families that conflict with the agency's, uh, quote, sincerely held religious beliefs or convictions, unquote. 
The amendment also bars the federal government from refusing to work with adoption agencies that discriminate. The vote in the committee was 29 to 23 along party lines, with Representative Scott Taylor, Republican of Virginia, the lone Republican to vote against the amendment. So Democratic National Committee LGBTQ Media Director Lucas Acosta, House Republicans are pandering to their far-right base at the expense of LGBTQ people and children in need of a home. Rather than focusing on empowering families or uniting children with their parents, Republicans on the House Appropriations Committee voted to give child welfare agencies a license to discriminate against qualified potential parents. Acosta added, across the country, LGBTQ candidates are running for office and taking a stand against the Trump GOP agenda, which seeks to roll back the progress we have made. In November, voters will stand together in the face of this bigotry and hate and elect Democrats up and down the ticket, unquote. In addition to LGBTQ people and same-sex couples, the amendment would also impact interfaith couples, single parents, married couples in which one prospective parent has previously been divorced, or other qualified parents to whom an agency could have an objection to. A big barrier to placing children with families is a lack of qualified prospective parents. Having the government give contractors and subcontractors a license to discriminate, thereby limiting the pool of prospective parents for no legitimate reason, is unconscionable and an unacceptable use of taxpayer dollars. David Stacey, Director of Government Affairs of the Human Rights Campaign said, any members of Congress who supports this amendment is clearly stating that it is more important to them to discriminate than it is to find loving homes for children in need. Congress should be focusing on ways to help children in the child welfare system find homes rather than creating needless obstacles for prospective parents, effectively shrinking the pool of qualified folks who want to provide children with a loving home. HRC urges Congress to reject this discriminatory amendment in the final appropriations bill, unquote. HRC recently released a report disregarding the best interest of the child, license to discriminate in child welfare services, detailing the harm of efforts to write anti-LGBTQ discrimination by child welfare agencies into law. Statistics suggest that an estimated 2 million LGBTQ adults in the U.S. are interested in adoption. But the LGBTQ community often remains an untapped resource when it comes to finding families for children and youth in foster care. So Casey Sufergini, president of a strategy at Freedom for All Americans, taxpayer dollars should never be used to promote discrimination against any American LGBTQ or otherwise. It's shocking to see some lawmakers willing to hurt not only LGBTQ Americans, but vulnerable children waiting for forever homes. This is just the latest example that discrimination against LGBTQ Americans is real, urgent, and a detriment to all Americans and should be cured by federal comprehensive protections as soon as possible, unquote. Nine states already have laws on the books that allow child welfare agencies receiving taxpayer funding to discriminate against LGBTQ youth and families. Alabama, Kansas, Michigan, Mississippi, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Texas, and Virginia. Five of those bills have passed in the last two years. According to data from the Family Equality Council's Every Child Deserves a Family campaign, more than 21,000 youth were awaiting adoption in these states. 
A hearing was scheduled on Thursday, July 12th in Dumont versus Lyon, a challenge to Michigan's law that allows state-funded adoption agencies to cite religion as a reason for turning away foster parents or adoptive parents based on their sexual orientation. Or, orientation. Research consistently shows that LGBTQ youth are overrepresented in the foster care system as many have been rejected by their families of origin because of their LGBTQ status and are especially vulnerable to discrimination and mistreatment while in foster care. This type of amendment will only exacerbate the challenges faced by LGBTQ young people. Wow, Frankie, this is not good news. No, this isn't good news. And this and is <coughs> the, you know, when people were, you know, some people on not necessarily my direct family or in my direct family, but were saying, oh, Trump, he ain't gonna cause anything. He likes the gays. He's a New Yorker. And then I'm like, no, he's going to do something. Is that how your family talks? Not my family. Oh. The other side of the family. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> not my family. That's how your family talks. <laughs> it's fine. It's I always just... good when you're like, you know. But, um, yeah, so, the, you know, this is what they were, you know, were pretty much in my face about, you know, because I'm like, some ugliness is going to happen. And they were like, no, not with, not with Trump. Not on this, because he doesn't care about the gays. And that's not his agenda. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is exactly what uh, one of the things that I was personally worried about is that what was going to happen with the adoption issue. And, you know, and it's interesting because it's not just affecting the GBLTQ community. It's going to affect whoever they want to affect. Right. So this is everybody's problem. This isn't just going to be our problem. It's going to be um, a national problem when a divorced woman would like to um, adopt or a single woman or a single man or a divorced man right. or interfaiths or maybe a biracial couple or whatever it might be because it doesn't meet the views of their religious perspective. And, you know, uh, fingers crossed that this doesn't, that somebody wakes up and, and is not going to allow it to continue on. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm I'm concerned about how open to interpretation it is too. As you said, I mean, well, how it's many people are well, it's like with the Supreme Court court and the um, the you know the uh, the cake issue. I'm sorry, I'm blinking out on that one. Mm -hmm. um, where you know basically it, it wasn't as extreme as we all thought, but people feel that they have a license to discriminate. Right. Um, and, and, and it's just more of the same is that we're going to be, you know, setting up a culture where it's, it's okay. And, and plus the kids, the kids are the ones that are going to be affected right now. No one wants to adopt these kids. They're not babies. They're, you know, they're, uh, um, sibling groups, they're mm -hmm. special needs children. Um, and, uh, you know, historically, the GBLT community have been the the folks that have adopted these kids. Right. And you're going to take an entire pool out, and it's going to end up costing who? It's going to be costing the taxpayers more, and it's, you know, going to fall back to these, um, you know, uh, corporate prisons because what's happens to these kids? So, you know, there's a big picture to this, mm -hmm. you know, when you, when you kind of think about where, where it's going and who's – um, encouraging it has nothing to do with God it has nothing to do with religion it's about greed and self you know people being selfish amen thank you so I don't know it's just it's you know I, I went through this when you know back in 89 when I started adopting you know as a, a single man um, and you know I just it, it was a long fight and we made a lot of progress 
and then for it to you know come to this point where we're you know this was states you know the feds were kind of staying out of it mm -hmm. but for the feds to jump in at this point mm -hmm. and kind of put their thumbprint on this one is just infuriating and i just you know under hope people get this part because it's not going to just affect the lgbt community it's going to affect a lot of other people and people are going to be you know saying well you know when they want to go out and adopt it's just going to make things more and more difficult and what are we going to do you know i don't know there's there's not a good solution as far as on how that will will run here is some good godly news episcopalians will allow same-sex weddings in all churches without exception a resolution passed during the Episcopal General Convention on Friday, making it possible for same-sex couples to marry in their desired place of worship. The triennial co covening took place in Austin, Texas, where support for the change in the church was overwhelming. Before its passage, the local authorities had jurisdiction over whether or not to perform a same-sex marriage. Now, if the bishop objects to performing the marriage ceremony, they can tap another person to take over. The Tennessean explained, under resolution passed Friday, clergy still can decline to bless or solemnize any marriage, but if the couple lived in a diocese where the bishop theologically objects to the same-sex marriages, that bishop will tap, if necessary, another, one willing, another willing one to provide pastoral support to all involved. The group All Sacraments for All People have been pushing for this expanded resolution since 2015. The group says that 93 bishops authorized trial using liturgies for marriages, granting sacramental inclusion to all. Eight bishops did not. These are the stories from one of the dioceses left behind, the Diocese of Tennessee, end quote. The resolution was initially broached during the 2015 General Convention. It was decided at the time that the decision on whether or not to perform the marriage was based on the eyes of each bishop directly. So that's some good news, I guess. If uh, we needed it, yeah, yeah all right. <laughs> yeah, after that. that, so I guess uh, for for those that are religious, <laughs> um, you know, you got to, and and you know, I guess they're they're leaving it open for people um, that that don't necessarily agree that they can tap another bishop and um, <laughs> kind of move on from <laughs> there. Uh, um, so you know, it's <laughs> it's kind of interesting on that one. So. Good for them. Yeah. And uh, let's get like, married. Okay, let's get married. <laughs> Who wants to marry me? Oh, I'm married. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for number two. <laughs> Sorry, Kelly. I'm really not. I promise. <laughs> so a young trans man's parents refused to claim his body, so his friends are paying for a funeral. Friends of gay... Friends of a gay transgender man who died earlier this month are raising funds for his funeral since his parents are refusing to pick up his body. Dane Gray died on July 2nd by suicide. He was 22 years old and a student at the City College of San Francisco. Several days later, the San Francisco coroner contacted his parents. On July 16th, 10 days after his parents were contacted, they had still not responded to the coroner, according to a GoFundMe page set up by a lab aide at the college named Lady Katerina. Now Gray's friends are raising money for his funeral for his funeral clothes, a casket, the service, and a plot, which they estimate will be around $16,000. Quote, we need help in providing final dignity rights for Dane, the GoFundMe page says. As you know, funeral expenses are expensive, especially when someone had nothing. Please help share the love and Please help share the love and give Dane his dignity, unquote. 
The college has promoted their fundraiser, saying that Gray was, quote, an active, was active with the City College of San Francisco Queer Resource Center, unquote. The page has raised $13,600 so far. The goal is set at $17,000 to cover GoFundMe's transaction fees. Katerina says that any excess funds raised will go to providing transportation for students to the funeral, which will be held at the Chapel of Chimes in Oakland. Any leftover funds after that will go to the Campus Queer Resource Center. This past September, Gray came out in a Facebook post saying, quote, Hello, guys. Guess this is my big public coming out moment. So I'm transgender, he wrote. Quote, this means I identify as a gender different from the sex I was assigned at birth. For those who don't know, I am also gay. So that's a thing. Hope this doesn't lose me too many friends and family, unquote, he wrote at the end of the post. If you would like to donate, please go to Final Dignity for Dane at www.gofundme.com forward slash final hyphen dignity hyphen for hyphen Dane. That one was sad. I saw that it came up and I posted that one actually on my Facebook and it just, you know, breaks my heart and I can't imagine a family, you know, of, again, a parent of eight children and, you know, there's, there's things that you don't always agree, but I could never for one imagine turning away, turning away and then having your child die um, through suicide especially and then leave him there. It's and then not have a funeral. And not That's even, I mean, just talk horrible. about, you know. But it sounds like he has some good friends. Well, he had but some. You know, yeah, but you know. that didn't obviously help the situation. You yeah. know, it was far, far deeper than than that. So um, I, I hope people will, will, will give to that or at least educate themselves. Um, and, you know, this is going to piggyback on uh, our show tonight. But uh, So I wanted to put this out there. So uh, don't touch your dial uh, while we take a few minutes to enjoy some music from our featured artist of this week, The Octopus Project. We'll be back with our guest, Evelyn Smith. Welcome back to Blooming Out. You were just listening to Exit Counselor by The Octopus Project. 
Our guest tonight is Evelyn Smith, who serves as Community Outreach Coordinator for Middle Way House in Bloomington, Indiana. She is a self-described fat trans lesbian and a survivor of sexual violence and is also a longtime campus and community activist. Her experience includes organizing around queer and trans issues, reproductive rights, anti-sexual violence projects, and feminist causes. Evelyn's work emphasizes intersectional oppression and seeks to address the risk factors that disproportionately affect society's most marginalized members, particularly women, queer, and trans people, people with disabilities, and people of color. Her recent projects have centered around the experiences and needs of populations experiencing housing insecurity and homelessness. Evelyn has bachelor's degrees in gender studies with a focus on feminist history and trans-feminist theory and biology. Outside of her paid work, she mostly does the exact same kind of work for free or hangs out with her 12 housemates at her co-op. Evelyn uses she slash her or they slash them pronouns. Queer Talk is a combination support group workshop series that has been hosted by Middleway House in various forms since 2012. Their once a month sessions explore issues related to LGBTQ plus identity, history, and health through activities, discussion, and opportunities to share personal experiences and feelings. Queer Talk is facilitated by a combination of Middleway House staff and community volunteers, all of whom are LGBTQ plus. Their goal is to decrease sexual violence and domestic violence in our community by increasing community connection and knowledge of best practices around consent, accountability, and violence prevention. Welcome, Evelyn. We are so happy to have you with us tonight. I am happy to be here. I wasn't really sure when I should introduce myself. <laughs> we'll do it for you. Yeah. He's like sitting there waiting for us. Well, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, and yeah. Um, it was totally, um, I, I went to, uh, Queer Talk yesterday, um, you guys had a planning committee, and yes. I wanted to meet everybody and kind of see what it was about, and I was very impressed, and definitely we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about that. But before we get on to that, I want to hear a little bit about you and share as much as you're comfortable sharing, um, kind of about a little bit about your history and kind of how you evolved to where you are today, and then we sure. can kind of pick up to um, where we were at Queer Talk. Yeah. Um, so I'm Evelyn Smith. Uh, I've lived in Bloomington for about 10 years now. I came for school, um, and then I got a job at Middleway after I graduated, and I just sort of stuck around. Um, I've been doing sort of activist work for a long time. I was part of the Feminist Student Association on campus back when it was still the Women's Student Association. Um, we've done, so I've also been part of like organizations trying to advance gay rights. I remember doing a lot of work um, pre-Obergefell um, which was really, I, it was, it was just really interesting, and like a, the way the world has changed since has been really, really. Can you remind us what that is? We've talked about it on the radio before. Yeah, but I don't know that our listeners sure. Know. Obergefell v. Hodges was the 2015 Supreme Court case um, that made gay marriage the law of the land, um, which is now almost certainly under threat, um, mm -hmm. which is really terrifying. Yeah. Vote. Yes. <laughs> um. But yeah, so I've been around for about 10 years doing different kinds of activism. I've worked for Middleway for about three and a half, actually close to four now. Um, I have done crisis intervention work, so working directly with survivors. Um, as a survivor myself, that was really difficult. That's one reason actually I moved into prevention, um, which is where sort of I got started with Queer Talk. Um, 
because we were looking, we, we do a lot of programming with like young people. We go into schools, we talk with people about building healthy relationships and identifying and intervening in unhealthy ones, as well as other stuff like um, toxic masculinity and like gendered stereotypes and structures of power, all of which are like things that we know connect to sexual violence and domestic violence. Um, I did that for about two years. Um, and now I do community outreach because I found that, uh, oh, well, and while I was doing that, right, we wanted to do projects that, that addressed for one, an adult community, but also an underserved community. Um, and we had a lot of gay people working um, in crisis intervention and prevention at the time. So we are like, queer talk sounds fun. We sort of revived a project that we'd done back in 2012 and we've been going for three years strong now. Um, I since have moved into like community outreach. So I work a lot with other professionals. I talk with them about how to integrate sexual violence prevention strategies into the work that they're already doing. Um, I also get to go to really cool conferences and going to California. Um, at the end of next month for oh, the great. National Sexual Assault Conference, which is really, really wonderful. And where is that being held? That is in Anaheim, California. Oh, great. Um, I've never been. I feel like I should go. It feels kind of a little bit like a gay pilgrimage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is gay pilgrimage. And you're right by, like, Disneyland or World. Disneyland. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah, which I'm also interested in because, like, Disney bought up a lot of Anaheim and, like, tried to wow. stack the city council and stuff. Right. That's really fascinating. <laughs> oh, oh um, that's interesting. But yeah, and then I'm taking the week off after and driving up to San Francisco because oh, my oh. gosh. well, San Francisco, that's yeah. the big gay city. <laughs> yeah, so that's sort of my background. So where where are we today, as far as uh, kind of the project that you're working on right now? Yeah, so Queer Talk is one of many projects if I have my hands in. Um, but I was I was one of the refounding members um, back when we started working again in 2015. Um, Queer Talk is sort of, um, we started it because we saw a lot of people trying to do education to solve the problem of domestic violence and sexual violence, and that's important. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel really strongly uh, that education like isn't sufficient on its own, right? Like you violence is really fundamentally like a power problem, and you can't solve a power problem with just knowledge. Um, so we wanted to do something uh, that like actually changed the structure of our community. And the idea was that Queer Talk was a way to give people like the skills they need to relate to one another, to build community connection in a way that's like safe, responsible, that makes us accountable to the people that we care about, that we live around. Um, as well as like some of those knowledge skills about like, how do you talk about like what you want during sex? How do you talk about what makes you comfortable? How do you talk about like how we deal with violence in our community? Because it does happen. Yeah, that sounds like a great. I, I love the name Queer Talk too. But <clears throat> well, I mean, that was something when, when I was at the um, yeah. facilitators meeting. Um, was one of the questions we were talking yes. about. You know, should you know is Queer Talk offensive? Um, and how you know? And I and I had mentioned that I thought it's kind of a generational because Justin and I are the the senior ones here <laughs> and and queer wasn't a positive thing no but I like right. it that it's been taken back I mean I think that right. that's a powerful thing right well, it's part of our legacy one of the so we've always chosen challenging names the very first year we did it when it was for queer identified women it was women with a y talk um, um, which was right again like challenging in a lot of conversations but like queer talk in particular sort of meant to connect to this legacy related to like act up and queer nation mm -hmm. and the lesbian Avengers right this history of LGBTQ plus activism mm -hmm. um, that was often derided by mainstream press at the time for That's being right. too radical, um, too aggressive, too black and brown. Um, and like, we want to be really clear that like we are part of that legacy. Um, right. Yeah. 
So who are um, welcome to the to these kind of yeah. uh, or to queer talking? Yeah, I was they wondering, should take can anybody go? Is it open? <laughs> Is it an open meeting? Uh, so we, as a rule, like we we don't ask people at the door right to turn in their gay card. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we it's intended for LGBTQ plus people and like questioning folks, but also for support people. So we've had it's an all ages group. We've had um, folks who were like in high school come and they've brought like a parent as a support person. We've had newly out people come. They bring, uh, you know, a support person with them who may be heterosexual. You know, we want them to contribute as they can, but um, nobody's perfect. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Right. Um, So it's really intended for LGBTQ plus people, um, particularly because we talk about really heavy stuff, particularly experiences of coming out can be really difficult. And actually I find that can be really healing um, to be able to discuss that and process it. With a with a community that doesn't share your exact experiences, but you have something in common with mm-hmm. a community you feel comfortable with. Yeah, ideally, which I mean, would that we all actually felt comfortable. Right. So, <laughs> who's um, facilitating this? Yeah. Um, so, Queer Talk has historically um, been a combination of Middleway House staff, all gay, and community members, all gay, of some of some stripe. Um, so, <clears throat> it's been half and half. Um, obviously, like folks from Middleway have some measure of experience doing facilitation, um, but we've also had like outside folks, and we've taught them facilitation skills. Everybody from professors at the university to just random people who feel uh-huh. like this is important to them. Uh-huh. Um, it is important to us actually that we reflect lots and lots of different backgrounds in the facilitators that we have. So if you're interested, like even if you've never done this sort of thing before, I'd encourage you to reach out to us. We would love to work with you and you can work with an experienced facilitator to find a session that you would like to like help. Great. Like shape. What is the best way to contact you about that? If somebody, if one of our listeners or one of us were interested in going, who would we contact? Yeah. So I will say this many times, I'm sure. My contact information, the best way to get a hold of me is to email me. I'm at Evelyn, E-V-E-L-Y-N, at middlewayhouse.org. Um, you can also, you're also welcome to call. Uh, I may not be there, but you can leave a message at 812-337-4510. Yeah. Okay, great. Okay, great. So um, excuse us as we put this discussion on hold. Um, Lucas, our engineer, is um, going to give us our weekly update of event on our events calendar, and we're going to take a music break as well. Stay tuned. Looking over at the community calendar for... This weekend, um, Sunday, we have the LGBT Aging and Caring Network Pitch in Dinner at 2116 South Azalea Lane, Bloomington. Um, The date is Sunday, July 22nd, time 5 p.m. The address is, again, 2116 South Azalea Lane, the fourth house on the left with the blue gazing ball. Bring your own drinks and a dish to share. Grill available for those who bring meat, veggie burgers, etc. Um, we don't have pets, so allergic people don't need to worry. Again, that's the LGBT Aging and Caring Network Pitch and Dinner. Um, looking down uh, the calendar here, looks like they will have another uh, LGBT Aging and Caring Network breakfast. At the Cloverleaf Family Restaurant um, on August 1st at 10 a.m. Next, we're going to listen to the the song uh, Lots More Stairs by the Octopus Project um, off their album One Ten Thousand Million.
Welcome back to Blooming Out. We are back with our guest, Evelyn Smith. So let's pick up where we left off. Um, so, Evelyn, you're from the Middleway House. Can you explain to our listeners what is the Middleway House? Sure. Uh, so Middleway House is a local domestic violence shelter and rape crisis center. Um, we've been around in some form for almost 40 years now, um, doing work like providing emergency shelter for folks fleeing partner abuse, um, as well as providing like a crisis line 24-7, 365. I'm sure at some point I will give the crisis line number because <laughs> I've given it a million times. Um, we also provide like legal advocacy for folks seeking protective orders or divorces. We have a daycare. We have a youth program. We have a transitional housing program. Um, so we provide lots and lots of different kinds of services. Um, Queer Talk falls in uh, because we do sexual violence prevention in particular. That was how it was conceived of. Um, it was really important to us. Like we chose Queer Talk in particular because we know historically um, domestic violence and sexual violence like service organizations, including shelters, have not really adequately served LGBTQ plus communities. Um, they haven't been accessible so often. Um, they like the the way we think about domestic violence is like deeply, deeply gendered and is not hmm. um, like the, the the models we use, the ways we think about it aren't really equipped to explain it when violence is occurring in a same sex couple. Um, shelters who provide like physical accommodation um, have historically like not been accessible to trans folk. Middleway House only started serving trans women in particular in 2010. Um, that was recent, uh, very recent. I was in Bloomington, you know, as a trans woman before that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so that's like an important thing. Part, part of why we want to do this is accountability because we want to change our own internal like structures to be more accessible. I mean, we also know that shelters are very dangerous places for LGBTQ folk. I mean, for example, um, trans folk who've accessed emergency shelter services, including like homeless shelters, 22% have experienced sexual assault within the shelter itself, right? Wow. So like rebuilding those structures, rethinking how we organize them is an important part of keeping our community safe. So you said 2010 um, was kind of the the kickoff year for transgender uh, individual or women, I guess. In particular. Right. Was... um, before then, was the, basically they just went to a w- – w- there were no options, at least in Monroe County, right? Um, many of the options – like, effectively what happens is you have, like, kind of a don't ask, don't tell situation. Okay. Um, where if you are able to, like, pass um, and, like, fit your experiences into this cisgender mold, um, you're, al- you're allowed to access services. Um, and that's obviously right. like not acceptable. Like as a survivor myself, like my experiences are tied to the fact that I'm a trans woman. You can't treat those like the trauma associated with that without addressing that. Mm-hmm. What um, what are the reasons that LGBTQ people are more vulnerable than cisgender people to violence or sexual violence or those types of things? So there's lots and lots of things that go into this. Mm-hmm. Um, I pull presentations on this. Um, so one is, for example, we face a lot of family rejection. It was something we talked about earlier, right, with um, Dane Gray's parents refusing to even right. pick up his body. Um, so LGBTQ folk are disproportionately represented among youth homeless people. Um, being homeless is a huge risk factor for experiencing violence. Um, when you look at homeless women with mental illness, which is like a huge portion of folks who do experience homelessness, um, lifetime incidents for sexual for sexual assault is like 96 percent. Hmm. It's a normative experience for that population. Um, you see other stuff. We're more likely to experience poverty, for example. Um, 
poverty makes people vulnerable to violence, particularly because they aren't able to leave relationships that are abusive, but not necessarily violent. Um, and then it escalates to physical violence. Uh, some other things you see, we're less likely to have access to um, comprehensive sex education. So like education about what healthy relationships and healthy sexuality looks like protects us against violence. The CDC has studies on this, which is mentioning it. Um, so there's lots and lots of reasons. And we can address one of them in particular. What we're trying to do is address community connection. LGBTQ folk are often isolated. Something you read about a lot, particularly among LGBTQ elder folk. Um, there's very little community connection and not having access to that makes people vulnerable. And I guess, you know, just the education that goes along with it, that, you know, yeah. letting people know that this exists. And I think it's it's kind of new to a lot of LGBTQ. And it's not like you get the handbook, right? Right. Of <laughs> where to call and these are, you know, these are your, your the people to go to. Um, and, and, and being able to talk open about it, you know, I... <laughs> You know, I think we all can think of somebody that, you know, has suffered, you know, has, has, has dealt with abuse in one way or another. Um, and, and I remember back in the day of like, you know, couples of, you know, gay couples, where do you go? You know, wh wh where do you uh, turn to? So right. we're, we're talking about kind of the, the, the female side, um, but with, uh, you know, gay men, as far as the abuse, yeah. um, what, what kind of services are provided for them? Um, so Middleway, in fact, as a shelter, serves people of all genders. Okay. Um, we will house men. Oh, We've done it in the past. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so you the, do house men? I thought men it was just for women. We right? do. In okay. fact, we house, we house everybody who is over 18 or legally emancipated. If you're not over 18 or legally emancipated, it's kidnapping. We can't serve you. But we, <laughs> <Right>. can, <laughs> we can connect you to folks who can. Okay. Um, but yeah, so we serve people of all genders. That's also a relatively recent change. Do you um, have percentages at this point or it's so new it's... It's, I mean, we've been doing it for several years. Okay. I would still say, I would still say probably 95% of our clientele seeking like shelter services um, are women. But I, I would say that we have seen like an increase in men seeking services um, that aren't, that aren't shelter related. So things like legal advocacy, um, that's something that we've seen like an uptick in men seeking services for, which is really important. Men have a whole lot of so particularly when men experience violence, there's a huge stigma to reaching out and getting help. And like, we want to make sure that we're not contributing to that, um, that we're not contributing nice. to this narrative that like only men can be abusers. It's not true. Right. Well, that's that's awesome. I mean, that's, you know, I, I didn't know. Yeah. And yeah, I didn't know that either. Yeah, to, to have this part of our community. Is this something that you see in shelters around the country that they do offer services to, I mean, this is like, you hit all the colors in the rainbow on this one. Right. Um, and is this something that's unique or is this um, a trend that's happening around the country as well? So it depends on the kind of program. Um, so in theory, at least, like per the Violence Against Women Act, its most recent reauthorization, which I think was 2014, um, shelter services, if they're funded by VAWA, are, are supposed to be gender neutral. So everybody's supposed to be serving people of all genders. Um, um, in practice, right, it's a competency issue, not necessarily like a like a theoretical policy issue. And that's something we deal with as well, right? Like um, for me, it's something that I think about, like do what I necessarily like feel safe recommending an LGBTQ person go to my agency. And like certainly if I'm there to help them navigate the process, I feel very comfortable with it. Um, but I think, you know, as with many agencies, right, depends on how you approach it. Um, and some people, um, 
in particular still like there is stigma against men seeking services so folks who quote unquote sound like men which sometimes includes trans women i say as a trans woman Mm -hmm. um like they don't necessarily get the full range of services on a crisis line if a person is assuming you know this person might be a prank caller or might actually be an abuser who's trying to like fish for information or something Mm -hmm. um so that competency i think is actually a, a bigger gap necessarily than policy. Although certainly there are shelters who don't serve LGBTQ folk because they don't receive VAWA funding and don't have to. Right. So when someone goes into shelter, mm-hmm. what, and let's kind of focus on the LGBTQ population, yeah. what um, kind of services can one expect and, you know, what's kind of going in and, you know, kind of, I guess the exiting or, you know, how that works. Um, right. And I know it's probably uniquely yeah. um, individualized, um, but just, you know, in general terms. And so it definitely does depend on the shelter. I can speak for, like, sort of what the experiences right. are at Middleway. Well, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, is So we, we have a shelter, which is, like, a separate physical space. Folks who come in with kids have their own room. Otherwise, folks tend to share rooms. Um, <coughs> that So they come in. There's, like, an intake process. Uh, and then they have a case manager, and that person works with them to figure out like what um what do they need to get independent and like find permanent housing for themselves like what support can we provide to help make that happen um in the form of bus tickets obviously we're we're providing you know shelter and food as well all of our services are free um which often like just having shelter and food is like a huge boon for somebody who like they can work on finding a job if they don't have to worry about those two things for a couple weeks um but yeah, other than that, like there's a variety of services they might access if they're legally married to someone or if they like want to seek like a protective order against someone. There's legal advocacy available. Um, they might want a support group. We have several different support groups. Actually, one of the plans for the coming year is to start a support group specifically for LGBTQ folk. Um, they might need child care if they come in with kids. Um, we have a child care. We have a youth program for kids. So we have a child care for kids up to age for and a youth program for kids age 5 to 18. Um, sort of all that broad spectrum, which is something that I'm you know, proud to be a part of. Awesome. You should be. So we're going to take another music break, so please stay tuned, and we'll be right back with Ms. Smith.
Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed that music. We're back with our guest, Evelyn Smith, and we wanted to continue talking and hoping to touch on queer talk. Cool. So, yeah, so um, we, we talked a little during break about um, uh, some of the sessions, and, you know, I we, we were talking about, you know, maybe we'll, we'll spend some time talking about maybe one of your favorite sessions, or a fa- a, 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 maybe, maybe not your favorite session, but a, se- a session that stands out um, and kind of how it works and what people yeah. might expect. Um, so queer talk, you know, when I when I talk about it, it's hard to describe exactly what it, it is. is. Yeah, right. I often say it's like a combination support group slash workshop series. Right. Um, because the idea is we want to integrate people's like experiences and lives into every session we do, um, but also be like talking about building skills and the knowledge we need to have that community that keeps us safe. Um, one of my favorite sessions that we do pretty much every time we do queer talk, actually, um, and usually is the first session, is one about like what what queer identity is um, sort of unpacking that word because a lot of people are uncomfortable with it um, but also talking about like LGBTQ plus history like where we're coming from and how we got here and I really like that um, because we do um, a, in particular an activity that I'm sure we'll repeat again so if you sign if you find this interesting you should come um, a timeline where we're looking at like different major events um, that run all the way from like Pre, like pre-Columbian American like oh, history wow. You're way back. Um, <laughs> all the way up to like the last year of like events that range from you know like the first person who was ever executed for sodomy in the Americas um, to Frank Kameny and the founding of um, the Mattachine Society uh, to the HIV epidemic um, to the incarceration of C.C. McDonald um, to a Bergefell and like, right. Wow. So we're talking about sort of this huge spectrum, but we're also asking people, um, to, to put their own lives right. on this. Right. So like, when did you come out? When was right. the first time someone yelled a slur at you? When was the first time you felt comfortable in your body? Um, so that we're like able to connect these histories to our own personal histories and see that we're part of it. That we're and and I love the fact that you go back so far because a lot of times, and, and I'm guilty of that too, you just go to Stonewall. Yeah. And right. that's where it's like, yeah, that's where, that's where <laughs> we all decided to be gay, you know, but, you know, <laughs> or at least got our voice. And um, there's obviously, it's it's a long, it's been going on for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I'm intrigued with this and I, you know, I'm looking forward to actually going to that session to, yeah. to hear that. So tell me about like facilitators that are, uh, I'm, I'm expecting that you are one of the head facilitators throughout this. Um, so I am one of the facilitators. I We've had a pretty anarchic community um, of, of people. People kind of come in and out as they're comfortable. Um, but like you said, we have like some facilitators who are from Middleway House. And they tend to be pretty dedicated and they're generally available for like helping folks figure out sessions. Um, but we also have community facilitators. These are folks that range from, like I said, like university professors to like local people who just want to get involved and have never run a meeting in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, so for those folks, like we, we want to welcome everyone, right? Particularly like folks who um, want to like learn these skills and then take them back to their own communities. So we love having young people. Um, we love having elder folks who maybe have never had a chance to run this kind of <laughs> to run this kind of um Quit poking. Session like this. <laughs> <laughs> um, Frankie. If folks are interested, we're still looking for facilitators for this coming year. You're right. always welcome to contact me. I said before, Evelyn, E-V-E-L-Y-N, at middlewayhouse.org. 
That's that's awesome. So um, you know, and and that was the one thing when I when I went, it took me a little bit to kind of understand what queer talk was about. Yeah. Because you know, being at uh, Middleway House, I was thinking it was just going to be all focused on domestic violence. Yeah. And so you know, it was very intriguing to, to hear that there was so many um, layers to, to and 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 in each session there are so many layers. So you know, when people go, it's not going to be I think stuck on one particular subject there's no. a lot going on there's a lot of movement there's a lot of conversation um there's breakout sessions that'll yeah. be going on within those um sessions and it's just you know it, it, seems, it sounds very exciting so the the folks that you're attracting mm-hmm. um so what, what does that look like as far as the people that are showing up and who do you want to kind of bring in yeah. that you haven't seen as much um so we we intentionally like want to bring in folks with like very like different experiences. Um, my favorite is in particular, like when we can facilitate folks with like intergenerational dialogue, it feels like that's something that we don't have. I certainly grew up without without like LGBTQ elders in my life to like learn from mm-hmm. and also to like teach, right? Right. Um, we do that every week on this show. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, like, Justin, for being here. <laughs> oh, you too, Frankie. <laughs> That's that's actually like a really important goal that I have in the work that I do, um, but also just making sure that we are um, like making the space accessible to folks. Um, So we've worked with like very young people, Mm -hmm. like uh, like folks under 18. Um, We want to make sure that they feel safe in a space. We want to make folks. um, So one one feedback we often get um, is that people are really happy that like we have a space to gather and like talk and socialize that isn't a bar. So like folks recovering from addictions, um, we try and like make a space that's safe for people of color. Um, so like we we try to be very intentional in both like the topics we choose, the way we facilitate, um, to make sure that like we're we're bringing in you know communities of color and making the space like safe for them that feels safe so that they can share. Um, making sure that uh, for example like our materials and activities are accessible to people with disabilities. Um, who may struggle to move or may like for example like find that reading isn't the best way for them to communicate or receive information Um, so we really kind of want everyone Um, one thing in particular that I'd like to see this year is is better um, representation like across that spectrum of age Mm -hmm. Uh, because I think there's a lot of wisdom there that gets lost Mm -hmm. um, essentially and I in particular right like as a trans woman like I grew up with a lot of without a lot of trans elders because many of them died right um particularly like during the HIV epidemic and like the, exactly. the wisdom yeah. that still exists is like critical. And I, something I've seen in particular lately is I've been reading, um, you know, books and, and pieces by, by lesbian elders. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's, you know, just a fascinating that you, you know, this is going on. I wish I knew about it, you know, yeah. before. And so obviously we, we're, we're putting it out there. Got a whole nother year of it. Yeah, so. a whole nother year. <laughs> you know, and also during the, 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 the facilitating meeting that we went to or I went to, um, they are talking about it seems like that that the the community is not only once a month. It, it seems like when we were talking that people meet up during the month, they make friends or topics and people meet elsewhere for coffee and yeah. so this this whole network of community that that bridges from queer talk right and that, that's like one of our goals as an institution like we want to make sure that we're actually building community I and mean, that's that's like the risk factor we targeted that's how we justify what we do to the people who pay us 
Mm-hmm. Um, is that we're building community because community keeps people safe. The CDC says it, so you should trust us. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so like we're, we want to provide a platform for folks to like make connections with other people um, that they can rely on. Right. Like when the time comes, we had a session, um, I want to say a week before and then a month after, you know, the 2016 election. And that was so hard. Oh, um, that for, must have been. Yeah. Ju- I mean, just to like, to sit in a room of people, it was also like really healing to sit in a room of people and say like, okay, we're not totally screwed. <laughs> there's, yeah. So I, there's some uh, community uh, calendar stuff that you want to mention. Yeah, so like folks who want to get involved, I'd encourage you to come to our next planning meeting. We have one scheduled for Wednesday, August 1st at 5.30. That'll be at Middleway. That's where we're deciding our final workshop list. So if you got something on the agenda, that's a good time to come. Um, also feel free to email me for that. Um, for folks interested in getting involved more generally, August 6th through 12th is the National Week for Action for Incarcerated Survivors. Um, that is being run by an organization and advocacy org for incarcerated survivors called Survived and Punished. You can find them on Twitter at Survive Punish. Um, and if you know how to knit, crochet, or do any sort of fabric art, um, I'd also recommend you to reach out to me um, to join our Wrapped in Love campaign, which is a fundraiser uh, program we do in October, Domestic Violence Awareness Month. We make tree sweaters. That's what I, you're Hotel the guy, people that are doing that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if you're interested in any of those, feel free to email me. Again, email is evelyn at middlewayhouse.org, E-V-E-L-Y-N, um, or feel free to call. Yeah. That's great. Well, we're out of time. And before we go, let's take a moment, um, a few moments, and thank our amazing guests. And we really appreciate, Evelyn. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for you coming being in. Here. Um, happy to be here. Learned a lot and um, looking forward to um, hearing and, and seeing a lot more of Queer Talk. Yeah. Um, additional thank you to all our listeners and volunteers who make this possible. I'm Kevin Mosenzade. I'm Grant Rollins. Blooming Out is produced by Frankie Presloff. Our executive producer is WFHB News Director Wes Martin. Lucas Fisher is our engineer. Our trusted intern is Jasper Tony. For Blooming Out and WFHB, I'm Justin Robertson. And I'm Frankie Presloff. And remember, if everything was straight, roller coasters would be one long, boarding, boring ride. Good night from our Blooming Out family. Stay queer. <coughs> You've been listening to Blooming Out on WFHB. Blooming Out is a product of WFHB's News and Public Affairs Department. Tune in every Thursday evening at 6 p.m. for Indiana's only LGBTQ plus news and public affairs program. You can hear this and other programs online at WFHB.org. Comments and suggestions for future topics or guests can be sent to bloomingout at WFHB.org. That is blooming O-U-T at WFHB.org. And thank you for listening. <laughs>